Hello, I'm Eamon. I'm Conrad. I'm Giles. And we are Mega City Film, Film Club. The Film Club is back and we have another guest returning uh, from a previous episode where we did Dread versus Death. It's Giles Richards, the Formula One correspondent for The Guardian. Giles, welcome to the Film Club. Uh, thank you very much, Eamon. Really pleased to be here with you and Conrad doing a film instead of a, a comic book for once. But, uh, you know, great. We'll have a good time. Well, as we've pointed out, we've also you'll be along next week because you're on next week's episode as well. I, I will be, I'm afraid. Apologies. More listen. of that later, and also more of the fact that you've got a book coming out next month as well, or in fact this month when this episode comes out. Oh, nice. I do, yeah. Now, as the regular listeners know, we have two brands, or two flavours of film club. We have the film club where Conrad and I see current comic book movies and then we have the listener suggestions where we have films that we can in some way link to 2000 AD and other British comics so we're going to get straight into the first film we're going to say that there are going to be spoilers particularly for a film that is as we record 43 years old I guess the first one something like that so we'll go straight to film one escape from New York so, Giles' first suggestion, Escape from New York from 1981, directed by John Carpenter, written by Carpenter and Nick Castle, starring everybody. Kurt Russell, <laughs> Lee Van Cleef, Donald Pleasance, Ernest Borgnine, Adrian Barbo, Isaac Hayes, and from that period of filmmaking when every film had to have Harry Dean Stanton in it somewhere. Um, Giles, set this one up for us. Uh, well, what a cast that is, first of all. But, um, yeah, so... Uh, it's set in the distant future of 1997. Oh, uh, man. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, when there's a, there appears to be some sort of authoritarian, like crypto-fascist government in America, they've got a, uh, uh, the crime rate rises by 400%, so they turn New York or the island of Manhattan into a maximum security penitentiary, as you do. Anyway, President's plane crashes in it. President must be rescued in 24 hours, so the only chance the authorities have is to send in our hero, uh, Snake Pliskin, played by Kurt Russell. Um, so Snake, Julie goes in with the added incentive of having had two small explosive charges put in his neck, which will go pop after 20, once the 24 hours is up. Snake goes in, has all sorts of adventures, makes all sorts of fantastic characters, as you can imagine from that cast list, uh, and then comes out to with a finish that has a uh, spectacular twist ending matched only possibly by the moment when you find out that Ben 90's a robot. Whoa! <laughs> Spoilers. Yeah. Okay, before we get into the film and linking it to 2000 AD, um, Giles, start us off. Tell us when you first encountered Escape from New York. When did you first see it? Uh, right, well, I, I do remember this very distinctly because I'll, I'll be upfront. This is one of my favourite films of all time. Uh, it was 1982, and I can actually remember this very clearly. I went into the video store with a friend of mine. I can remember us walking in, and my friend said, Anyway, when's he actually going to melt down? <laughs> uh, and then we, we proceeded further. And I, I should add for our younger listeners at this point, a video store, there was no streaming. Uh, there was no, not even Blockbuster. In those days, a video store was about the size of a newsagent and there was no internet. We didn't see trailers on, on social media or anything like that. So the way you chose a movie was by looking at the cover, generally, um, as the, which were paraded on the wall. And this, uh, so we were looking, and this, this cover, the cover of this movie has got Snake Pliskin 
lurching towards you, shooting a machine gun with an eye patch on, and behind him is a shattered head of the Statue of Liberty in a destroyed New York, which uh, obviously, ironically, has nothing to do with the film because the Statue of Liberty is entirely intact for the film. Um, anyway, we saw this and we thought, what's this? What well, This looks fantastic. On, this is on VHS as well, uh, again, to, to, to date us. Took it up to the counter uh, and said, Oi, mister, why do you want to escape from New York? <laughs> uh, and the guy just New York's grand, why do we leave? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he said, just go, go watch the movie, kid. So we did, and, uh, and we, we took the VHS home, watched it, and it absolutely blew my mind. So, and that was, that was 1982, um, the year after it came out in the cinema. So, quick question before we get to Conrad, but you were fairly young then, Giles? I was 12. 12. I'm pretty sure he shouldn't have rented us this movie. (laughs) Pretty sure. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, um, But then again, that was the days, you know, like I say, when video stores, you know, if if I'd wanted Death Race 2000, I would have got Death Race 2000 as well, um, which we chose again based on the cover. Conrad, we enjoy tales of young Conrad seeing films that he shouldn't have seen. What about this one? I will say, one, the poster is very iconic. In San Francisco, when I lived there in the uh, – there was actually a pizza place called Escape from New York Pizza that was just that poster, but with pizzas photoshopped in in a lot of places. So, you know, views in a lot of things. Um, My Escape from New York story is a little bit – is very – is dramatic in my life, though – Probably less fun, I guess. Just in that we also—I also saw it on 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 VHS um, from, from from a blockbuster, probably in the late '80s or early '90s or something. But my main memory is during the—I was watching with my with my brother, and during the uh, the scene where a Snake is flying into New York on the glider, and there's all the CGI buildings and stuff. We got extremely excited that oh, that was so cool, and. In the course of, of of thinking how cool it was, we also got in a fight and as brothers basically, and um, we ended up knocking over a, a bottle of uh, like strawberry soda, I think, which fell on the carpet, stained the carpet. We were in trouble for a long time afterwards. So really have that have that moment of just seeing like you know something falling in slow motion as that uh escape from new york you know do 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 song is in the background so very strong memories of escape from new york also but and then just generally like you know I think Kurt Russell's Snake Plissken voices with all of us when we try to do tough guy voices, you know, uh, that's one's really stru- stuck with me these last, you know, however many years. That, that's the dread voice almost, isn't it? Kurt Very Russell, much so, I think, yeah. If he was going to do an, an audio version, that's what you'd want him to sound like. So just to complete the VHS trio, I'm all right. Uh, we video used nasty to, here. We used to wheel the the video display unit that was used in the lecture theatre. We used to wheel it up to the medical students' bar, and one of us would go and rent a video, and then we would show it to everybody in the bar. Which I think was one of those things you were explicitly not supposed to yeah. do. <laughs> show on oil rigs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Don't show it on oil rigs or in clubs or pubs or bars. Yeah, yeah, but we did that, and that's how we watched Escape from New York. 
okay, so we've got, it's got the wonders of Kurt Russell. As you say, he's got to go into this ruined prison, uh, Manhattan Island, and he's going to encounter all these wonderful character actors who are going to turn up. Yeah. And, and you know, Kurt Russell, John Carpenter, always gold, 100%. That's one of the, one of those primo movie, com, you know, actor-director combos, I think, where there's never a miss. And like, in, instead of a miss, there's like four iconic movies, basically, with that combo, you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, Giles, you suggested this film for us. Links to 2000 AD. I mean, we've mentioned the dread voice that uh, Snake Plissken has. What else do you see as sort of like similarities in the vibe of this film? Well, what, what, I mean, the reason it, it makes me think of 2000 AD is because there were two things happening at this time. And there's firstly that this film has... I still think one of the great anti-heroes in cinema in Snake Plissken. Uh, and it's also set in a, in a, it's a dark dystopian future. Now... This came out in eighty one, uh, which was just at the start of what we what we call the golden age of two thousand AD, and I and I I feel it's impossible not to imagine that the creator droids of the time weren't watching films like this and other similar ones like Blade Runner, and that it, it it was these films that informed what would follow for the next six or seven eight years. Um, you know, anti heroes, dystopian futures. I think I think you see Snake Plissken in many characters. I think you see him in. Uh, in Johnny Alpha, sometimes um, I, I, I've said before. I think I think the, the the story, the killing, is effectively Johnny and Wolf escape from New Yorking their way through that story, uh, <laughs> and and you see it in Harry Twenty as well. You know that's a, again. I, I have no idea if there was direct link there but but there's a it it coincides and i don't think it's any surprise that the golden age of 2000 ad also coincides with what was what was carpenter's golden age effectively i mean in in this period he's knocking he's knocking out the thing halloween uh escape from new york the fog uh i mean these are all these are extraordinary films salt and precinct 13 this he didn't make a bad film yeah, uh, during this period whatsoever and again I, I you, you can only imagine that the people writing 2000 AD and indeed drawing it were were more than aware of his work as a, as a filmmaker at the absolute height of his talent fantastic stuff yeah I mean the John Carpenter golden age from 1974 to 1986 when he made those nine movies uh, that starts with Dark Star and finishes with Big Trouble in Little China which of course Kurt Russell again mm. um but yeah, they're all bangers from that period, aren't they? <laughs> they, they certainly are. And as Conrad said, uh, this th- it was this period when Kurt Russell transitioned from being like the the pretty boy in Disney movies to being the Snake Plissken, and and you know uh, I can't remember his character name in the thing, but 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 to being a proper you know grown up action hero uh, character character actor. I'd also add to that by just to say that, like, to me, like, uh, Mega City One or, or sorry, Manhattan and Escape from New York is very much like, on, honestly, like, I feel like a very clear inspiration for like a ton of just Mega City One. Like just having these roving, you know, when, when you kind of get maybe not like just when you're doing the more satirical, like inside the city blocks, but like when Dredd's out on the street, he's basically just in Manhattan and Mega City One, where it's like doggy dog, roving bang, bands of gangs constantly. Like, you know, there's always if you're if you're sort of get off a beaten path, like you're just, you know, it's only a matter of time till you find some like tin pot dictator who's escaped the view of the judges until. 
until now, you know, that that kind of stuff, like even if it's not directly influenced by 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 um, Escape from New York, and I I, I agree, Giles. I think it's you know we it, it's so you know especially especially depending on the writer, but it's clear that you know these guys are watching movies and seeing what's you know taking inspiration from what's in their world, like you know it's like this Megas you know Escape from New York could be just like. If you swapped out Snake Plissken for Dread, it's the same movie, basically. <laughs> like, you know, and I think that that really, you know, speaks to how much so much of the of, of Escape from New York's DNA, especially, you know, we talk about the, the DNA of Dread. And I think that if you're talking about, like, what it's like to be a street judge in Mega City One, like, wandering the streets of Escape from New York is like, I feel like that's the touch. That's like a key touchstone for it, honestly, if you're sort of. If you're describing it to like a new reader or a new, you know, someone who's trying to figure out what 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 dreads like, you know, yeah, no, I I I completely agree, Connor. There's there's a great scene in the film when uh, uh, snakes in in underneath a theater somewhere, and there's a guy sort of warming his hands over a fire or offers to clean his shoes to shine his boots, and um and and begins to start doing so, and, and two guys try and jump snake, and he and he literally just biffs them both in about the right. same it's total dread move he barely he doesn't break a sweat he just takes them both out without even uh, you know shifting his head which is that is total dread mm-hmm. any other favorite scenes or sequences from this wonderful 1980s action movie I must say what I like, I gave you a brief exposition earlier. One of the things I really like about this is the fact that the entire setup is done and dusted within about 12 minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. Thing. Jamie Lee Curtis does the does the narrator voice of the intro, telling you it's a prison. Snake arrives at the prison. He then sits down with um, Lee Van Cleef, uh, uh, who who explains what he needs Snake to do. And this is this is brilliant because it's shot from the side, so they're both in the same shot, and they're they're like two sides of the same coin. It's a beautiful piece of of, of the framing, and um, and this is when you meet Snake properly for the first time, and when he and when he sits there. And and Hauk says it, he's repeatedly calling him Pliskin, and Snake's reply is, "Call me Snake." <laughs> um, and there, to and fro in this season, in that scene, I just adore, you know. And 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 Hauk says, "Oh, you know, the, the the president's plane has gone down. We've got to rescue him." And Snake sort of leans back and just, "President of what?" <laughs> uh, and and again, the, I just I think that's a just great. To and fro, two parter, two hander scene that that establishes both their characters literally in the space of about three minutes, and then and then about a minute later, he's getting geared up. He's given all his gear. He gets his explosives uh, involuntarily uh, stuffed into his into his neck, and then he's <laughs> in. He's into he's into a thing. But that but I really I really like that scene, um, and it, and it's an object lesson to other filmmakers. I'm thinking of your Zack Snyder's who take three hours to tell a story that that you know what Carpenter did is here it is here's how we're getting there then we're in and and uh fortunately he had two great actors to do it as well I'm struck by um what you say about doing the setup because I watched Rob Zombie's of a remake of Halloween and what John Carpenter accomplishes in like the opening credit sequence of uh, young Michael Myers going on his rampage that takes about 45 minutes for Rob Zombie to <laughs> <laughs> you know 
It's 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 the it's a curse of modern filmmaking. They, yeah. yeah, no one seems to have any editorial control anymore. Just to say, you know, I mean, the, the second both these films, uh, Escape from New York and Escape from LA, come in, I think, at one minute, one hour thirty six minutes, and there isn't, you know, there's not an inch of flab on them. You, you know, it's what you want. Yeah, I think it's you know it's like I feel like I've I've, I've talked about this a lot. It's just sort of this, there's this curse of like wanting um, wanting backstory and lore and stuff like that. I think one of the real strengths of or, 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 or one of the real fun things about the Escape series generally is that they do a lot to um, make it seem like there's more in the story. You know, like there's sort of they're always referring to other things Snake has done, right? Like, you know, in all the movies, he's famous in, you know, the joke of like, I thought you were dead. I thought you'd be taller. Um, He's always bumping into people from his past. Right. Harry Dean Stanton is his old, old, you know, buddy from a previous gig that went wrong and stuff like that. And it's the idea that like, you know, here's this character who's existing in the world and people are just sort of talking about things in his past. But it's not like. You know, there's no like, oh, we're going to flash back and show you that, you know, and I think, you know, brave or maybe just because these are more cult classics, I, I, I'd actually imagine there's no real push to like, oh, we got to do some prequels to this. We got to do some extra lore things. You know, how did you know, what did these guys do in the past? How did the how did the Duke rise to power? That kind of thing, <laughs> you know. That I think is more just because we we were you know there was a point where we were comfortable just kind of being like oh yeah no I just don't know the I know I know this snapshot of the story but it's universally applicable enough that I'll just sort of you know grab on and tell and, and get it going which I think is also a little bit 2000 AD actually if you think about like the idea of like you're supposed to pick up a prog and like start reading and if there's backstory if there's history maybe you'll pick it up but a lot of times in stories there's also just like it's not a, because there. That's also a lot of economy, you know. Of course, four to six pages per per thrill. Like you've just kind of got to go with it and not worry too much about you know. Do I know all the lore? Have I seen you know? Do I know the exact like histories of these characters and stuff? As opposed to the story being compelling enough to just pull you along for the ride, which I think is always is 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 a lot of fun and something that I, I agree that we've sort of lost a little bit in. How, how our movies are made these days. Yeah, I, I, I think that's spot on, Conrad. Absolutely spot on. There's a, there's a case in point of this is there's a line at the start, again, when Hauk and Snake are talking. Hauk says to Snake, you flew the Gulf fire over Leningrad, which refers to a military operation Snake took part in. Um, and and it, is, it is literally a throwaway line. It's not explained. Yeah. No, no, other than that you understand it's a military operation because he used to be in the military. Um, it, it, it could be an entire backstory. What's fascinating about that is, William Gibson, the the author, took that line and was enormously influenced mm. by what it might have mean, what it might have meant, and incorporated it in, as part of the part of the plot. Well, not incorporated as part of the plot, but it, it inspired him when he was writing Neuromancer, which was yeah. his first proper novel, um, which is extraordinary. Again, in the film, it's just a throwaway line that that. that Puts gives a bit of context and it's done, but it but it went on to be an even bigger thing. So if, if nothing else, we can thank Escape from New York for for putting ideas into William Gibson's. Yeah, I, I never picked that up. That's amazing. I love that. That's where where Armitage got his star. Oh, gee, oh man. All right, I'm nerding out now. This is exciting. Got the guy yeah, yeah. got, got got the nerd goosebumps. That's that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I was also struck by what I read on uh, Wikipedia about 
Carpenter writing the movie in the 70s as a reaction to partly to Watergate, but also to what he saw as the increase in violent crime in New York in films like Death Wish. And we've talked about this on this film club before, Conrad, this idea that um, Dirty Harry and then Dread and later on we'll have Stallone as Demolition Man, this idea that you need because of the the moral panic about violent crime mm. you need the uh the sort of like the the wrong side of the law ruthless enforcer who will put things right absolutely i mean i th- you know i mean well you know vigilante always a big part of american um american culture and stuff like that we love them you know robin superheroes robin westerns all that kind of stuff a lot of you know the uh Laws often more handcuffs than um, or put your keeps you keeps you bound by things and let you do what needs to be done for justice or something like that. I don't know. But, yeah, I think and I think that like, yeah, you know, that 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 like sort of moral panic, that fear, fear of the city and stuff like that. Ooh, it's problematic. It's a tough, tough part of American history in terms of of of, of what happened because of it, and then you know, a we generally, and then strange is, or interesting to see how, how the media then reacts to it. All these worries about um, crime and you know this feeling of like apocalypse almost, or that sort of you know in in the cities there's just sort of crime and death basically, and how we see things respond to it is stuff like you know like what re- reports would lead to stuff like dread, certainly movies like yeah like um Death Wish or Nighthawks or something like that, even you know especially stuff or like stuff like the Punisher as well, big in comic books. You know, people were really worried about it and it was a big deal and sort of leaves this like thing. Yeah. Of just vigilantes, you know, cops on the edge, that sort of thing all through the 70s and 80s, I guess that, you know, this. Yeah. Escape from New York, definitely a symptom of it. Yeah. I think I think more than a few people at one point, at least facetiously saying, let's just wall off that city or something like that. And, uh, you know, but also I think just the, the, the general idea of like, let's have an island where we'll just toss all the criminals. You know, I think as a species, we love that as as humans, you know, talk, I don't know. Talk to the Australians, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I can see where, where he was coming from in this because he wrote it in the early 70s uh, in, in that there was a sense, uh, you know, disillusionment uh uh there was you know the places like new york were were not pleasant at the time is my understanding mm-hmm. you know i was only a baby but um uh and 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 crime and all that sort of thing and i think to extrapolate from that as he did which was say well in this distant future there will be a there there will have been a major backlash against this this huge rise in crime etc so what do we do we make the giant prison which is which you know it, it's also a trope that is repeated has been repeated and ever since and has been repeated then that there were always a there's always a color of politician for whom for who will play the law and order card and that's you know let, let's uh, i can fix this this is law and order this is we do that and and all carpenter did i think was just sit there and say okay where does that where does that finish up it ends up with a giant prison on manhattan island surrounded by effectively a fascist police force um so uh, you know it was an, it was it was an interesting route for him to take but not one that i found enormously surprising given when he wrote when he wrote the script 
So Kurt Russell just is Snake Plissken, and next the year after this, of course, he'll be McCready in the thing, and he will be forever cemented as just Kurt Russell from then on. Um, what about the rest of the cast? You've mentioned Lee Van Cleef being a great sort of pairing with Kurt Russell. Um, from the others that he meets along the way in New York City, uh, who did you like? Um, uh, well, I, 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 I mean, I think this is a great cast. I really do. Uh, I think Ernest Borgnine is fantastic. Uh, this is one of his, well, a, a great role for him, um, possibly only matched by that time he turned up in The Simpsons with the, when they went on the um, camping holiday. Uh, <laughs> and I think, I think he got killed by a bear. Um, he's, he's, <laughs> yeah, a bucket knife, yeah. Yeah, that's right. He's, he's, he's great. Adrian Barbeau, who is another carpenter, uh, favorite also uh, also in the fog is is really good you know i mean at a time when female leads weren't that weren't uh, as uh, it's in action films she just didn't really exist and she's pretty tough uh even though she's re- repeatedly referred to as as harry dean stanton's squeeze which is a <laughs> um p- peculiarly late 70s 1980 early 80s phrase that one wouldn't use now um and uh, and Harry Dean Stanton is, as you said, he's, he's everywhere and he's also brilliant. So I I love I love them all in this film. Conrad, any standouts? Oh yeah, no, I I mean I I, I agree. I think I, I think it's a very fun cast and a very you know in in a fun movie. Always a big fan of the robotic charms of the Adrian Barbobot. Very good. Um, I think <laughs> Donald Pleasance is pretty good as the president who just sort of is there to kind of you know be both sympathetic and hateable. I think he walk, you know, that's the Donald Pleasance line. I think he sort of walks it as, as well as he ever does. Isaac Hayes, pretty good as, as the Duke of New York of just being sort of, you know, an implacable baddie and stuff Had an excellent car. I love those chandeliers on the front of it yeah. as well. Um, very, you know, watching it now, one of my big worries or one of my big like uh, edge of the seat moments was just, is that chandelier going to hold on during the car chases and stuff? It's, <laughs> it's precarious. So, Sometimes I really love Harry Dean Stanton, his brain, um, just if just because he's such a uh, I mean, he, he's such a sniveling like double crosser, you know, he'll double cross. He, he'll, he'll double cross like everybody multiple times, like in a scene, you know. Just, just back and forth, and you don't know. Like, oh, is this the is this the fake? Is he is this part of the plan? Is this the actual like that sort of stuff? Which, which I think I think is really good and a real good use of 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 that character. I think. Yeah, the great the, the other great thing about this is that is or is that is that Carpenter's brave enough to effectively have almost all of them killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, and, and, and we're sympathetic with pretty much all of them by that point as well. Not least, not least Adrian Barbo and Harry Dean Stanton. For all that he is a weasel, um, <laughs> but, he, but, but again, you know, I, I think that's peculiar to the time. Was just like, no, that they're all going to die. That's a spoiler, by the way, from from, from, the, from the future. Uh, I also noticed Carpenter regular Tom Atkins is in there, and of course, Giles, as you said, the uncredited Jamie Lee Curtis does the opening narration for us. Obviously, the actors who work with Carpenter quite enjoy working with Carpenter because they come back for several projects, it seems. Donald Pleasant's obviously back from Halloween. Adrian Barbeau had done The Fog the previous year. Must be quite a good time working with him. I, th- I think they were. I think he was putting together, a, a, you know, one of those sort of classes of people that that really enjoyed working with him, and and for whom it was also beneficial. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis, her early career and, and her later 
you know, step up to proper superstardom. She owes an, a huge amount to John Carpenter, which is as which I, which my understanding is why she agreed to then do the voiceover, the narration, not only in this film, but to reprise it for Escape from LA when quite, quite clearly she had no need to do that you know, by that point, she, she was absolutely enormous. So, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis, Kurt Russell, uh, I mean, they, he, he was, he was, uh, I think people recognised that he was, he was very much working on, on a, you know, very high level and that his films were proving very popular. And nice to have Lee Van Cleef um, in there in sort of like in opposition to Kurt Russell, which gives us another link back to Clint Eastwood movies, because obviously he was absolutely the foil in those Italian westerns. Yeah, great stuff, great cast. Um, Giles, did you want to say something about the surprise ending of Escape from New York? Spoilers ahead. Yeah, hello, hello from the future. There's spoilers here, but um, you should have watched it by now. Yeah, yeah, I do. I think this this ending is fantastic. The reason I said this film blew my mind when I was twelve. Oi, what's going to happen? Um, it, it did blow my mind because at this point I'd never seen I'd never seen a movie with a twist like this. I'd seen I'd just finished watching the Star Wars films. I was twelve, so so my idea of a a a roguish lead lead character was Han Solo. So when um Kurt, when Kurt Russell does the Kurt, the Snake Plissken thing, I think this is absolutely incredible. Uh, but on top of that, at the end, of course, he 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 gets the president out and um, he's he's rescued the MacGuffin which he was sent in to find mm. the tape that is uh, that is is needed to ensure world peace at a summit. Uh, the president puts, it, puts the tape in the machine to play while while doing a live press conference to the world summit. And rather than being the uh, formula of a some sort of nuclear fusion device that he was supposed to be presenting, it turns out to be the tape from Donald Pleasant. Uh, no, from. No. Ernest Borgnine's, Borgnine's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the jazz that Ernest Borgnine has been playing in his cab throughout the whole film. And uh, the, the film closes with uh, with Snake having told Lee Van Cleef, who, who is finally calling him Snake, refer, looks, at, looks at Lee Van Cleef and says, the name's Pliskin. And, and, and it, uh, the move to the credits is, is Snake walking away stripping the the cassette stripping the the tape out of the cassette and throwing it on the floor it's a mammoth twist ending and and immense snake is uh, an absolute genius anti-hero little bit of nihilism you know absolutely fantastic and again i'm, I'm you know I, I i was 12 it blew my mind then if i watch it now i still cannot help but smile at that at those final closing moments fantastic stuff well Obviously, Escape from New York was incredibly successful. Uh, made twenty five million at the box office from its six million budget. Is a cult nineteen eighties classic. It's got all these great actors in it. I'm going to say we all had a terrific time rewatching Escape from New York and would recommend it to our listeners. I'm guessing. Yeah, I I, I can't recommend this highly enough. And, it's, and, it, and I should add, it's not. I mean, the film is great. The soundtrack is fantastic. Uh, which Carpenter wrote himself. I mean, it's 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 one of his you know synth based soundtracks, but it's absolutely perfect with this film. You know, um, I should add there's a there's a remix of the theme tune from Escape from New York by a guy called King DJ, and that's on. You can see that on YouTube. It's really it's really fantastic, and that comes from an album called um, From the Stars, which there are two volumes, and that is remixes of 
sci-fi films and sci-fi TV shows, which if you can dig up is fantastic. It's got, you know, Blade Runner, Blade 7, all sorts, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, all remixed into dance <laughs> versions, which are great. So I should say that. But the theme tune's fantastic. Uh, you know, um, uh, every aspect of it is great. Even, even down to the sound, uh, you might not notice this, but the, the sound Snake's gun makes, which Adrian Barbeau ends up, it's, 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 not, a, it's not a sort of normal gun sound it's more like a boom that, mm. that it issues which is again attention to detail i think is, is absolutely absolutely brilliant so yeah i mean i i I, uh, I i can't recommend it highly enough really yeah we should mention not only the golden age for the prog the golden age for john carpenter but the golden age for john carpenter theme music yeah, mm. yeah. um again bangers in this period he was putting out on his synthesizer conrad it's a thumbs up i'm guessing oh yeah no escape from new york is like yeah it's it's an essential movie for this you know if you're into these sort of like just kind of sci-fi movies honestly like it's very much like for for dystopian futures for action movies escape from new york is a is, is a bar setter honestly it's one of these ones where it's like you know um giles you made a reference and it's very much a um I always um, talk like make a joke on 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 Space Spinner about uh, like like die harding. Right. Like the idea that like, you know, you a movie can become so essential that then becomes a high concept for other movies. Right. Like Die Hard was the movies there, like Die Hard in a plane. And but like Escape from New York is very much one of these as well, where it's sort of like, you know, you can just describe a movie as Escape from New York, you know, on you know in this situation you know on on this planet on a space station right if you're doing sci-fi ones or like you know in a in a western town or something like that just this idea of here's this lone hero in an unfamiliar place can he or can they make allies and fight against enemies to to get out of there you know to or to accomplish something and then get out of there it's like it's an essential movie film honestly it's an essential video game plot especially like i know you got i don't know how how big gamers you are but i can think of at least 20 video games that are exactly escape from new york like for pretty much any like open like so many things are just are very much just like here's a here's a thing to do Here's a deadline. Here's a place to do it. You know, that sort of thing. And, you know, is very like iconic and influential. Similarly, again, um, just the uh, the uh, like the the characters in here, you know, Snake Plissken, this sort of tough eye patch dude, literally um, again, sorry, video game stuff you guys might might not know, but the character of a solid snake in the Metal Gear games is explicitly based on on Snake Plissken to the point where the only reason that the, that a Kojima didn't get the, the creator of Metal Gear didn't get sued is because John Carpenter met him and thought he was a good guy. Basically, like okay, let's not let's not sue him then. But otherwise, it's you know it's explicit. It's like very much there. It's a, like. I can't imagine anybody listening to this podcast specifically that hasn't seen Escape from New York. Like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, it's like at some point, like, yeah, listen, we all love the progs and stuff. But there's other medias out here and you need to see these things that are so influential and form, again, the building blocks of so many other things that, that came after it. I mean, I, I should add a uh, comment spot on. Um, and I, I'm, 
ever since I saw this film, when I was 12, I went around saying, call me Snake. A mm. lot, um, lot, of, lot of 12 to 15-year-old snakes walking around small towns as a result of this movie. I'm positive. There you go. <laughs> and, I, and I kept at it. And I'm now in my 50s. And my colleagues at work all do call me Snake. That is amazing. It, it, stuck, it stuck with me. So, um, yeah, it's there's, I, I, also, I also think, I mean, I showed this to a teenager uh, not so long ago. And and um, once they get past the fact that it, it looks a bit dated because mm. of the effects, et cetera, they, once they're past that, it is still a great story. It's a great ride, you know, uh, uh, and and it's um, it really, really, really enjoyable in that sense. So, uh, you know, I think I think it stood the test of time as well. Fantastic stuff. Um, before I take us into our next film, I'll just very quickly mention. Well, I suppose it's a possibility it could come up for us in the future, Conrad. Isn't Guy Pierce sent into space prison to the High Rock? Lockout? Oh yeah, buddy. A skip, like Die Hard on a Space Station, buddy. That is a good movie. Not a great, not like. Okay, wait, wait. Sorry, sorry. That's a, it's a good. I'm, I'm putting, I'm putting air quotes up in here. That's a good movie. Oh man, highly recommended. Lockout, buddy. Come Escape on. Escape from New York on the High Rock. Literally, yeah. No, is we're smashing these together, making these, putting these movies together. These are good. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> That's more. That's less less 2008 DNA than more what half two two thousand what half two thousand AD rot. You know, <laughs> sounds like we need somebody to pick that one because Conrad wants to talk about that movie. I right. would love to talk about Lockout. Oh my god! Woo woo! All right. Well, let me take us to the second part of our double bill and a film that I'm going to say we might not spend quite so much time on. But Conrad, take us in too. Film to escape from L.A. So 15 years later in the real world, again directed by Carpenter, written by John Carpenter, Deborah Hill, and Kurt Russell gets a writing credit, again starring Kurt Russell, but this time we've got Steve Buscemi, we've got Stacey Keach, Peter Fonda, Pam Greer. Conrad, what's the setup for Escape from... Well, as actually, I should say, as a current prisoner of... <laughs> The prison state of LA, the prison Absolutely. city of LA. Tell us, what's the setup here? <laughs> <laughs> the distant future, 2013. <laughs> I hate it. I hate that the distant future is so far in the past now. But listen, it's the same. Uh, to take what Giles said for Escape from New York and make it in Los Angeles. We're very. I'm just. Uh, that's that's the basic setup slightly different just in that now um america has been taken over by like a televangelist basically like the president has become like um a a religious uh, a right-wing religious uh preacher running for president correctly predicted a los angeles earthquake in the year 2000 which separated the main city from the california continent and because of this was made um president for life basically which is fair like if the if the predictions come true i, I don't know like I'll, I'll i'll we'll deal with it when i see when we see it you know but besides that um yeah, plane escape from New York. The plane goes down. They got to get a MacGuffin. Um, Snake takes a submarine this time. 
uh, it's the president's daughter instead of the president. There, there's a big thing about them not being unhappy if the daughter's killed as opposed to being brought back alive and stuff. Um, oh, and and the MacGuffin is a mini disc player that can turn off all electricity in a country, or in a country or the world. Ah, like that, you know, wink. I guess there's gadgets. There's um, CGI of questionable amounts because it's 1997, basically. Um, and then, yeah, uh, Pam Greer's Harry Dean Stanton, Steve Buscemi. Oh, no, 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 sorry. Steve Buscemi's Harry Dean Stanton, Pam Greer. Wait, actually, actually, no. I guess both Pam Greer and Steve Buscemi are Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. Although Pam Greer's also Adrian Barbeau. So it's, you know, it's mixed around a little bit. You know, oh, 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 sorry, sorry. And unlike an Escape from New York, where there's a big gladiatorial combat scene in Escape from L.A., there's a Titanic three-point shootout, which I think is really, I thought was really great when I saw it. I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen in my life and was and was pretty fun. You know, it, it, it led me to watch a compilation of NBA players um, making shots from beyond half court, basically, which, um, and, and you can cut this out, Eamon, but it reminded me a lot of that one time, a knowledge fight where Dan talks about getting obsessed with watching dunk videos one night. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, listen, agreeable. Snake's back. Yeah, you like the first one. You're going to like this. It's the same. Like, what do you, you know, like, it's like, you know, oh, I, I went to McDonald's two days ago and I had a meal that was pretty good. I went, I got, I, I got the same one. Oh, it's the, it's the same. Prime. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Rules of sequels. Make the same film, but make it bigger and more explosive and more, but much bigger budget. Giles, you were so, you know, you were such a big, or you are such a big fan of the first film. Were you excited when this one came out? Yeah, I was. I was childishly excited. I went to see it at the cinema and I was, I was tingly all over in my seat. And, uh, and I remained tingly all over for about 20 minutes. Um, you know, when, when Jamie Lee Curtis comes on with the, with the narration at the start, which as Conrad has pointed out, it, the narration at the start is almost word for word identical <laughs> to the narration at the start of, of uh, the, the, the U S police force, like an army is yeah. around <laughs> the island, you know? I mean, if if, she, if it was happening now, you might you might suspect they just used an AI to sample her voice or something. And, and, <laughs> I don't, um, anyway, and then and then when, and then I, you realise literally about ten to twenty minutes in that it is it is a beat for beat remake of the first film, and and I was pretty disappointed about that because um, uh, I'd uh, I was enormously pleased to see Snake back. And he was fantastic as always, and he was, and he was again. It was effectively the same role. He even he lost, you know, he put his muscles back on and stuff to play the role, so he looks identical as well. Which again, given that it was so many years later, is pretty good on Kurt Russell. Um, but I I was disappointed at, at the time. However, having watched it again, and not least in having watched it last night, as Conrad says, this is a pretty good ride. It's it's you know. <laughs> It is the same film, effectively. It's the it's a different cast, but they're all playing the same characters. Um, but it but it's quite fun. It, it, you know, it, it it is enjoyable. I think I think if you take if you if you were to see this without having seen Escape from New York, you'd have a great time. You really would. I mean, but uh, 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 you know, 
so I enjoyed it. There are problems with it, not least that CGI. There's a CGI. There's a CGI scene where uh, where Snake is surfing next to Peter Fonda, um, mm. and Steve Buscemi is driving next to them both. And the the CGI on that is absolutely shocking. I mean, you know, I, I suspect I could do better than that myself with a pencil. But and and this is one of the noticeable things is it's, it's very interesting about the two films is that that New York was all shot live in in as far as i'm aware east st louis which which where there had been a massive urban fire and destroyed uh, a huge part of the city so it was the set was there this 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 destruction and 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 all these awful gutted buildings and everything that snakes walking through whereas in the la one and and conrad will be able to speak about how uh what la looks like but but it it, it really does look like the back of a studio lot most of the mm. time and with with and, and I, I find that really jarring especially after the first film um where where it looked so where it looked so realistic you know so um but but i mean you know i don't i don't mind it's quite so much now Conrad, I'm, I'm, no, I'm sort of struck by the fact that in the 90s when Judge Dread artists discovered um, digital art and photoshopping that we now look at it and we can see, oh, yeah, that, this artist has discovered the clone stamp tool or something like that <laughs> when we look back at it. And in a similar light, we look back at this sort of early CGI now and, and wince, don't we? It is, it is a bit noticeable that they're not doing a lot of this stuff practically like they were in the first film. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a real good example of it actually is right at the start of the movie when they sh- when we have like the uh, the earthquake that sort of takes out Los Angeles. You have a building where like all the glass is breaking, and it's pretty clearly just like you know f- CGI glass falling off of a building. You know, it looks real re- real bad. Like 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 Giles said, the uh, the surfing scene is is rough. Like the under like this you know snake enters los angeles via um mini sub and the underwater sections are uh, again very like of the era video game like in 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 not a good way you know and i think like also i i read a thing that said that like 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 you know the big shoot at the end is clearly in a big studio back lot where they have like wires over it. So, you know, they hang glide in basically, but like you can pretty cl- like that feels more practical where it's sort of people just flying over this set in hang, you know, in, in like on zip lines with hang gliders attached basically. But apparently I read this on Wikipedia, so I don't know, but a, uh, a DJ who lived nearby complained about the sound of all the gunfire from the, um, from the set. And so they ended up just not using guns and then CGIing in all the muzzle flashes and stuff like that. And does not look great just in terms of like how this shootout looks and people are uh, people shooting these guns and stuff like that. Like it's sort of, you you talked a little bit about Escape from New York. How uh, when you show it to someone now, they it takes a second to kind of get over the graphics and effects of of the era and stuff. I think that's harder from Escape from L.A. because you do hit that kind of uncanny valley. Like we're it's 1997, or we're just trying to figure this stuff out, and it's not going as well as we'd like. Sort of. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Nineteen Excuse me, sorry. Yeah, the, the old, the, the older film, I think, is, is far more palatable in that respect. It, 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 it looks better, and it play, and it plays better as a result. Also, there's too many. I think there's too much. There's too many people in the second film. So there's mm. a lot of, lot of crowd scenes and all that sort of thing. When, when New York is is very sparsely 
populated largely, uh, and it, and it, and therefore you don't have you don't have these these large scenes with all all the people who have been dispossessed and sent to and sent to um, Los Angeles, but uh, do do have found a nice line in weaponry and lingerie. It appears. <laughs> So Kurt Russell's back, obviously, as Snake. And as you say, Giles, he, in the initial scenes where he's in the original Snake Plissken costume, apparently that's exactly the same costume that 15 years later he's wearing. But then, of course, they replace it. They upgrade his costume, um, put him in the all-black suit. Um, what about the rest of the cast? Uh, you know, we've got some, as you say, Conrad, some like-for-like replacements almost with some of these character actors turning up. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, a pr- again, I think it's a pretty agreeable cast. I guess it feels, again, very 19, sorry, I, I kept saying 96 and it's 96, or, or 97 and it's 96, but it feels very 96, honestly. You know, this is when Steve Sammy's just coming around, um, and he's, of course, got su- such a big role in this film. It's uh, uh, Pam Greer sort of in a revival period as well with, like, Jackie Brown and stuff like that in this era Jackie as well. Jackie Brown will come out a year later, yeah. right. That's sort of like, you know, like, do you remember? Oh, yeah, Pam, Pam Greer's available, which I think is always a good thing to remember and stuff like that. Pam Greer's great at this, Conrad, I think. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Know, she's, she's just a, a, a really timely reminder of how good she is. Definitely, and I think there's like, and otherwise I would say there's some fun performances. I feel like Stacey Keach especially is having a lot of fun as um, as, the Lee Van, as the Lee Van Cleef character, and I think that like I kind of liked actually just the um, the thing of how there's a running joke that he is a step ahead of Snake in um, in Snake's wanting to double cross them or like. You know, how would I just kill you then or something like that? Like, you know, he's he, he's playing for all these things, you know, they're, they're holograms or he the first clip in the gun is is blanks and stuff. He's like, I thought you'd try that champ, that kind of thing that I think makes his ultimate come up and all the uh, all the fun, all the more interesting. So he's also extremely 90s with his little ponytail and stuff and like uh, cactuses on the desk that he keeps misting and things. Yeah, he's uh, he is great. I, I really like Basumi as well in this uh, because he, uh, I mean, in the like for like session, it, he's a, he's a he's a top end weasel in this. Mm. And oh yeah, no, born to be a weasel, literally total, total weasel, uh, which which is a perfect match with Harry Harry Dean Stanton in New York. Um, you know, again, he's doing. He, I mean, he's doing sort of Weasel 101 uh, uh, by, uh, for Buscemi, but he does it very, very well. Oh, I should also mention uh, Bruce Campbell in a brief cameo as the uh, Surgeon yes. General of New York, of, uh, of, of Beverly Hills is really great as well. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted a bit more of the Surgeon General, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Could have done a bit more of that, but yeah. Okay. Um, big scenes. You've mentioned there's a great basketball sequence. There's a shootout sequence. There's the... In the first film, Snake had a glider and then there's a car chase. But apart from that, not much in the way of vehicles. In this one, they want to try and get him into a bunch of vehicles, including the mini sub, <laughs> the surfboard, the hang glider, and the helicopter at the end, I guess. Any other big moments or big sequences that impressed you or that you particularly like about this movie? Giles? Well, I mean, I, I like Conrad, I really like the basketball scene. Um, I mean, you... you um you're hard pushed to beat a scene where a big bald fat man is trying to kill you with a baseball bat full of nails, but you 
you put one over on the big bald fat man. So so they so instead of trying to just repeat that, they did repeat it, but they but they said it on a basketball court and snake's got a snake's got a score of, uh, five baskets or or something. Yeah. Um and it's and it's that's great. It's, there's, there's no violence in it. He's going to be shot if he doesn't do it. It's really, t- it's really tense, and he and he does it inevitably with absolute immense coolness. And I and I know nothing about basketball, but he's popping them in, you know, from all over the place. And obviously, the last one he throws in from the other end of the court, absolutely fantastic. It's a really, it's a, it's a, it's a really sort of climactic moment without actually it being a big fight, which is which was a nice a nice change of change of pace f- from where we were, from where it might have been, because there's quite a lot of fighting in this, and there's quite a lot of shooting as well. You know, there's a there's a nice a nice sequence where Snake chases chases them on a on a motorbike and he does a wheelie. You know, twelve mm. year old Giles is twelve year old Giles is like. Oh yeah, come on. on. <laughs> I like the. Um, I was a big fan at the time, and I guess still now of just he does the sort of a a nod to the uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, basically, where he d- like shows down with the baddie with some baddies and is like, you know, we'll, we'll draw when the can hits the ground. And then he throws the can up and just shoots those dudes. Like that's some, some funny, like, I don't know, gunfight stuff. I, I, I appreciate that kind of thing. Um, I also say <laughs> low key. Now my favorite scene is the sub chase because that's where, um, where I live is now. I live in the, in the San Fernando sea. Like when he, uh, when, when Snake's blasting past the, uh, the Universal Studios sign, like that's basically like, I'm like, oh, I can see my house from here, you know? <laughs> so if you're, if you're and, wondering. And the shark goes after him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. If you're, if, if you're wondering where alternate 10 years ago, Conrad would have lived in 2024, it's there. It's in the, it's in the underwater part. Just okay. FYI. <laughs> What Conrad? What do you make of the um, of the depiction of LA? Given that you you live there and you, I mean, I mean, it's very like except for the um, honestly, except for the uh, the Beverly Hills stuff. I feel like, or except for for the Beverly Hills stuff and the surfing, I think you could have had it in most places in in most cities. I think like, you know, in the end, like it's not like they're really going through a lot of iconic locations as they're doing stuff. Um, You know, it's a lot of like, you know, a junkyard in a back lot somewhere or, you know, a junkyard someplace uh, uh, like what's pretty clearly like. You know, a studio backlot that's kind of supposed to be kind of Disneyland, I guess, or kind of like a Main Street USA kind of situation. But because it's the Main Street USA thing, it just means that it's just sort of like there's a couple parts. If you ever go like the universe, like on like studio tours where it's like, oh, you know, here's just our sort of, you know, small town exteriors part of the of the lot, basically. And it's just sort of shot on there and it's fine. But like. I could have done with more LA things. I could like there it's especially because you got to think movie guys know stuff about Los Angeles. I think that's why the Beverly Hills stuff is in there. Definitely. There could have been things that you could have made fun of. You could have like, like, you know, suddenly the subway's actually working or something like that, you know, bring that back or just more jokes about traffic, I guess would be fine. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, 
I, I could have done, done with more ruined um, iconic buildings and stuff like that. There's a big scene where they come, where they're amazed because they come across like a uh, a cruise ship that's or the uh, I I think it's the QE2 that has sort of crashed into the middle of like downtown LA and stuff like that. I could have done with more stuff, you know, more matte paintings like that. Could have done with like you know, city hall with half the top blown off or something would have been pretty fun, but. Uh, that's just how it goes, I guess. I, I saw the. I think I spotted the, the Capitol Records building mm-hmm. had been had been absolutely. Bashed. Yeah, that's so definitely that, another one of these yeah. sort of one or two iconic LA buildings. There aren't a ton, just because you know it's mostly the Hollywood sign when you think of Los Angeles for buildings and stuff. It's a challenge. Some it's a challenge. It's a, it's a challenge to blow up, which was also a thing in Independence Day or something. Like okay, like I guess yeah, I guess Capitol Records is the one. Like that's the one that we've got. Where if we're going to blow this place up, <laughs> to show that's been blown up. Yeah. So this film did not make its budget back at the box office. Um, I'm going to guess. Well, let's just say that the first film, Escape from New York, is a must-watch, isn't it? Um, mm. Where do we stand on watching Escape from L.A.? Giles, kick us off. This is uh, one of your choices. Well, as I said, my feelings have changed on this in that in the, I didn't really like it when it first came out, and now I really don't mind it, and I think it's quite good fun. Well, um, if you if you liked Escape from New York, you will you will like this. I'm absolutely sure. I mean, what I my my feeling would be: don't watch this straight after Escape from New York because the comparisons are too are too blunt. To, uh, you know, and it will, and and the 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 delicious deliciousness of Escape from New York will be slightly spoiled by following it immediately. But with, with this, but if but if you you know, as a, as a sit sit down, good fun, and if you like Snake, then you're getting good value Snake here. You're getting you know, he, <laughs> he's, uh, he's he's the catchphrases are there. He it's got a again, it's got another great um ending albeit you know the the twist is much the same but it's got a very what i think is a very dark very nihilistic ending which which actually almost doesn't fit with the with the fun nature of the rest of the film and i really like i understand russell himself wrote that which is the only piece of script he's ever written um for any film and that it was it was him behind that um where he effectively says game over for the world and turns off all the electricity. So, um, which is, which is, I mean, that that's a really dark ending and I really, and I really appreciated that. So, um, so yeah, it's good fun. I mean, watch, watch Escape New York a couple of weeks later, set, settle down with this one uh, as well. Conrad, John Carpenter famously thinks this is a better film than Escape from New York. He prefers this one. Do you? <laughs> No, I would say <laughs> Escape from LA is not is is non essential. Like as opposed to Escape from New York, which which I would say is very essential. But I definitely agree with Giles. Escape from LA is a fun movie. It's it's like listen, you're sitting down, you're like, oh, this is on, or like, oh, like I I've got this on my streaming service, and I've got now you know an hour and a half, an hour and forty minutes just to watch explosions and catchphrases like there are worse movies in that genre than this one i'll tell you that much absolutely there are um you know and i'll say that this movie has a special place in my heart just because it is a movie i also saw in the theater but i was like 15 at the time 
I think we, everybody has a couple movies they saw when they were teenagers that really that like just because they were action movies they saw in the theater when they were a kid have a place for ha- have a place for them. This is one of those for me, along with another failed sci-fi dystopia I could mention, but a name of Judge Dredd, folks. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> like. You know, there are movies that I remember from when I was a kid that, you know, were were really fun action movies that really like because they were in sort of, you know, w- w- whatever their own charms were also in the goal in the have the golden light of, of my youth attached to them that I, I really appreciate, you know. And I also I would agree with Giles that, that the ending of, of Escape from L.A. is fantastic. He's turned off all the power in the world, walks into the darkness, finds a pack of American spirit cigarettes with one cigarette left, takes them out, lights it with a stick with, with, with a match that still works as a stick match, looks directly into the camera and blows out the match. That, that's the movie. Ooh, that's that's good. That's 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 the as we say on Space Spitter, that's just making the subtext text right there. That's like letting you know. This here's the message, folks. You know, and I think that's great. It's a you know, it's a big, it's a big gold retriever of a of a movie. Like you just sort of, you know, it'll knock stuff over, but in the end, you just kind of want to rub its belly and like have a good time for an hour for an hour and a half. It's it's fine. The, the two endings of those two films, I mean, they're, they're, that's up there with great movie endings. Like, you know, literally the last thirty seconds of each one is is. Top end snake plissken, fantastic. Um, but it's interesting what Conrad said about Judge Red because I had a remarkably similar experience with Judge Red, which as I I went in enormously tingly uh, <laughs> and excited, and and about twenty minutes in, I thought, "What's going on here?" Oh and, and, and yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I've been looking forward to that for all, all my life, and um, and I felt similarly deflated when I exited from that one. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, in a way, I wish I'd been younger, like, as Conrad was. But, um, but you know, uh, so yeah, there's there, there, there's another heart back to 2000 AD right there. Well, I had enormous fun watching Escape from New York, which I don't think I've had, I've been able to watch since that 1980s experience. So mm-hmm. that was great. Um, Escape from LA made me want to go back and watch The Thing and Pam Greer in Jackie Brown instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> time for a rewatch of those two films but there you go giles thank you very much for picking uh, a couple of films for us to talk about on the film club and we've had great fun discussing them um even if one of them is um not quite up to the first <laughs> it's been great absolutely love talking about this so very quickly links megacitybookclub.com you'll find all of my stuff and all the links including hopefully in the show notes a link to the uh King DJ remix of the Escape from New York theme, if I can find it to link to. Conrad, we hey, thought Space <laughs> no, Space Spinner 2000, Big Meg 1. We got new shows out, folks. They're going to be Come there. On. Because, you Come know, on, Conrad. Listen, we're pushing our way through, uh, getting to the end of 1994, into 1995. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. We yell at each other. Oh, man. Um think slain is the yeah no there all your fra- all your favorites are coming back i promise 1995 good year we're gonna brace for the f- we're, we're, we're gonna watch the uh actually yeah the uh the release of the dread film 
in then come out in real time. I'm pretty excited about it in sort of a way that you are excited about like something that's on the edge of a table finally falling off the edge of that table, I guess. Like, oh, there's going to be a tragedy. It's going to be awesome. I don't know. Anyway, sorry, said too much. Nope. <laughs> Space Spinner 2000 is back at spacespinner2000.com. That's where you'll find wherever it. You, yeah, wherever you find your podcasts, find Space Spinner 2000, Big Meg One. We're talking about these comics. Giles Richards, you can find Giles. You can find your profile on the Guardian, which will be in the show notes uh, for this episode as well. The Formula One correspondent for the Guardian. You're about to get quite busy with the Formula One season starting to get going, and you've got a book coming out, which we're going to talk about more next week. Yeah, I have. I, I mean, I, all I can say is I'm. I can't wait for Space Spinner to come back. Um, uh, that, uh, so you can big that up all day, as far as I'm concerned, Conrad. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've got a book coming out at the end of February. We'll, we'll talk about that. It's about Formula One. It's about the people who work in the um, uh, behind the scenes, the engineers, the mechanics, all the people that make it happen, but you never see on TV. Uh, and it's been been great fun doing it. Look for links to that in the show notes as well. And Giles will return next week when we are going to the distant dystopic future of England in 1997, I believe, Giles. Yeah, I, th- I think I think it is ninety seven, which is again the same year as Escape from New York. Nice, same universe. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So if clearly, everyone was having the same ideas that nineteen ninety seven was so far off. I think Escape from LA in twenty thirteen is actually the same time as uh, the Running Man, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. So, you know, could also be happening at the same time. Actually, I, I could see it. Anyway, sorry, I know we're ending. I got things I'm to say. I'm fascinated by this. In, 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 to, People should just stop dating films. Yeah. Because, because it was the same. I, I can't remember when. When was Blade Runner set? Was it 91? 2019, I think, was it? 2019, right. Yeah. Well, we, you know, again, the distant future, which sadly hasn't come to pass. Uh, so, yeah, they should just stop putting dates on films. Just put the near future or something. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, next. Next week. We, we, next week, sorry. I, that was a massive tangent for me. No. Apologies. Um, uh, next week we're doing V for Vendetta which um, is a spectacularly brilliant comic book I can't wait to talk about it it's my favourite one it's, and it's one that, that in various forms w- was also with me since I was about 12 years old uh, and then um, on and off came back came back in and out of my life ever since uh, and it's um, Adam Moore and David Lloyd just, just an absolute masterpiece of storytelling a huge book for next week on the book club In the meantime, if you have a film that you can link to 2000 AD or another British comic, if no one else can help, and if you can find us, then maybe you can hire the Mega City Film Club. I'm still going with that line, Conrad. I don't know if if we're hired, Eamon. (laughs) Or wait, wait, are you getting money? Wait, what's going on here? (laughs) Yeah, nobody's getting paid. I'll I'll appear for a a bag of spoilties. (laughs) Until next time, I've been Eamon. I'm Conrad. I'm Giles. And we have been... Mega City Film Club! Club.